This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. So Lord, that, that is our prayer right now, that you would speak through your word. Lord, we, we pray that you would plant your word deep within us, that it just wouldn't be lost, it wouldn't be going in one ear or out the other. Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of your word. May it result in acts of love, deeds of faith. May you form and shape us in the likeness of Christ through your word. Work in our lives in these moments. These are precious times when we get to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and open up the word of God and dig into it the words of life that you have for us. You can do beautiful things through your word, the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, help us to be fully engaged and in tune with you right now. Equip us, speak to us. Prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper that you have ordained for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we are in 2 Timothy. If you are new today, uh, welcome uh, to you. We are so glad uh, that you're here with us today. We are walking through Paul's second uh, letter to, uh, to Timothy, his uh, son in the faith, protege, uh, and so today, the, the text really has the theme of, of, of remembering. It's the first word of this text, and it's, it's all about remembering the work of Christ and his word and our union with Christ. There's just so much here in verses 8 through 13. And so let me invite you just to follow along in, um, in God's, God's word as I read it. And as we prepare to dig into it. So Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Wow, what, what a text. I had a minor crisis a couple of weeks ago because I, I updated my phone and my watch at about the same time. And the, the people at Apple threw me a nasty curveball because there were features that were in different places and so I had to press different things to be able to get to them 
And one of my favorite features is one that helps me to remember where I put my phone down in the house. And it's on my watch. And so all I have to do is just press something on my watch and the phone just, it's loud dinging. You can hear it throughout the house. And I use that feature all the time, but in the update, I couldn't find that feature. So for a couple of days, I'm, you know, I, I, I put my phone down somewhere. I don't remember where I put it, and then I couldn't go to my watch and, and press something to, you know. So uh, minor crisis here for a couple of days. We, we eventually figured out, well, it's one thing not to remember where you put down a gadget in your house. What's really bad is when you forget important things that have to do with the people in your house. So guys, let me remind you, February 14th is Valentine's Day. And I don't care what anybody says, that they say it's not very significant. It is significant, it does matter. And so you need to take your phone and mark that down in your calendar, and then you need to remember to check your, your phone so you don't, you don't forget. But the most serious failure to remember is the failure to remember God. If you look at verse 8, Paul begins this section in verse 8 to Timothy by saying what? Remember Jesus Christ. You say, well, how could Timothy forget Christ? And yet... As God's people, we often come down with spiritual amnesia. And we forget the work of the Lord. We, for, we, forget, we forget him. Now, we see this pattern over and over and over in the Old Testament. Where God's people will forget him. They forget the goodness of God like we sung about a while ago. God told them from the beginning not to forget. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And God warned his people what would happen if they did forget Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 19 says, if, God says, if you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, I testify against you today that you will certainly perish. But over and over again in the Old Testament, the pattern is that God's people forget. The entire book of Judges is about this pattern. We see in Judges chapter 3 and verse 7, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshiped the Baals and the Asherahs. And then in Judges 8 and verse 34, it says, the Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. When we come to the prophets, Jeremiah tells us about the pain that we bring into our lives when we forget the Lord. Jeremiah 3.21, a sound is heard on the barren heights. The children of Israel weeping and begging for mercy, for they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. 
Now, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus gives us the ultimate forget-me-not. And it's not a flower, it's a supper. Jesus takes the bread and the cup, and he says in Luke twenty-two nineteen, do this in remembrance of me. Yet even as serious, committed Christians, we, we find ourselves sometimes forgetting the Lord. I mean, I know I can have a wonderful, quiet time with the Lord in the morning, and the Lord's just given me so many rich things from the word and in prayer and it's been just a sweet time of communion with him and then I can just get so busy and kind of into my day that I, 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 I find that I've, I've, I've drifted and I haven't practiced the presence of the Lord as I should throughout the day, forgetting him. We, we can be like the, 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 the person that, that, that James talks about in James 1, where he talks about someone, you know, who, who looks in the mirror and then walks away and instantly forgets what he looks like. Worse, we forget the Lord and his work. And so that's where Paul begins here in this text. He tells Timothy to remember the work of Christ in verse 8. Let's check out verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. So he gives us two phrases here about Christ. Risen from the dead, descended from David. John Stott says this about those two expressions. Stott says, as we meditate on these two expressions, it is remarkable how full an account of the gospel they give. The birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus are all implicit in them. So let's look at each of them. First of all, Christ is risen from the dead. Now, in order to be risen... He had to die. Why did he die? For our sins. In another classic statement of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. How do we know that Christ really died for our sins? How do we know that he was a savior of the world who was truly atoning for our sins on the cross and not just another martyr who died? Because he rose. His resurrection validates and vindicates everything that he ever claimed about himself. And we know all of that because he rose. And if he rose, what is also implicit in that is that he is ascended and at the right hand of the Father and interceding for his people and coming again as a risen king, coming again as king of kings and lord of lords to rule and reign. Risen from the dead. And then Paul says in verse 8 that he is descended from David. God made a covenant 
with King David, that one of his descendants would be on, on the throne forever. He says in 2 Samuel 7, 16, in the Davidic covenant, God says to David, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. God was promising David that one of his descendants was going to, to rule forever. That one day, as we saw Wednesday night in Daniel 2, earthly kings and kingdoms will all pass away. King Jesus is coming to rule and reign forever. One of David's descendants. When Paul describes the gospel that he preaches at the beginning of Romans, in Romans 1, 3, and 4, what does he say about it? He says it is concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the fact that Jesus is descended from David points to something else that's really important about him. And that is that not only was Christ 100% God, but also 100% man. And why is it important that he was also 100% man? Because he could, the fact that he was a human being means that he could live the perfectly obedient life. Perfect obedience to the law of God. A life that we could never live. And so that his perfect obedience, it can be credited to our account. His perfectly righteous life and his perfectly righteous vicarious death for our sins can be credited to us who trust him. Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 19, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the work of Christ. Remember his work. The second thing is to remember his word. Remember the work of God's word. So let's check out verse 9. Paul says, I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. As Paul writes this letter, he's in a prison in Rome, bound with a chain, but he looks down at his situation, bound with his chain, and he uses it as a jumping off point to point to the fact that God's word is not chained. It's not bound. They might have me here in this prisoner, but they cannot stop the word. The word is on the loose. Spurgeon once said this about the word of God. He said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. That's the word of God. It's on the loose. It's unbound. It's at work. It's at work in evangelism as we share the gospel. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. As you share the gospel with your friends, the Spirit of God is unleashed through that. There's a power that's at work through the good news of the gospel as we speak it. 
It's at work in evangelism. The word of God is at work in our sanctification, shaping us, fashioning us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we dig into the word of God, the word of God is doing surgery in us. Healing surgery. It's, it's doing deep work. Getting down deep and, and transforming us from the inside out. Sanctifying us. And then equipping us. We're going to see in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is why we're committed to expositional preaching at our church, because we believe that, that there is power in God's word, that the Spirit works in power when His word is unpacked, that the word of God does deep and lasting work in the lives of people. Luther believed this as he reflected on all that had happened in the Reformation. Martin Luther said this, What is Luther? The teaching is not mine, nor was I crucified for anyone. How did I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name? I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did everything. The word is at work. And you know, like Luther, Paul was willing to suffer to proclaim that word. That's what he's talking about here in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, this is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Paul was willing to suffer all kinds of abuse for the gospel. Because he believed that God had chosen a people and that if he was faithful just to continue to share the gospel, continue to proclaim God's word, that the Spirit would draw those people to Christ. There's a great story in Acts chapter 18. Paul was in Corinth and facing a lot of opposition. There had been a lot of persecution. He was discouraged and God came to him one night. In a vision. In Acts 18, 9 and 10 says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. Now, to this point, Paul hadn't seen a lot of that outward fruit, but God is assuring him, I have many people in this city. You just keep preaching the word. Who were those people? It was people that God knew they were going to come to Christ. All Paul, he's saying, Paul, son, all you have to do is you just keep on speaking the word. And, 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 and let me do the rest. You're, you're going to see them. You're going to see them come. I've got people here in the city. He's got people in this city. In this city. People in your lives that are not yet in Christ. Don't be discouraged. Keep praying for them. 
Keep sharing the gospel with them. Keep inviting them to church. Keep on doing that. Don't be discouraged. The Spirit can do things in their lives that that we can't do. What an encouragement to, to keep pressing on, right? I was with one of our one of our missionaries one time and we were we were on a, a ferry headed from southern Spain over to Morocco. And we, we got into a conversation and he was telling me about some of the things that he had faced as a gospel worker in the Muslim world. And he was telling me about one time getting pelted with rocks, actually being stoned. And I said, Jerry, how do you, how do, what, what, what enables you to endure in times like that? And he pointed to the, the, the very thing that Paul says in verse 10. He says, I can keep going because I know that if I'm faithful to continue to share that God's got a people. That's what enables me to endure. I know God is going to call people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel. And that gives me confidence to continue to proclaim it. That's the work of God's word. The third thing that we see here to remember is that Paul's saying to remember your union with Christ. Let's look at verse 11. This is really beautiful. This is probably like an ancient creed or a song that the early Christians would sing in verses 11 through 13. But he says in verse 11, this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now Paul is pointing to something here that is undertaught. We need to know more about our union with Christ. Because if you are in Christ, you are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. We see a beautiful picture of this in believers' baptism by immersion. Every time somebody is baptized here, what do you see? You see someone who is, they're lowered beneath the water, which denotes burial, we died with him. They're raised up out of the water, which communicates resurrection. We live in him. We're alive in him. We're raised to walk in newness of life. This is our union with Christ. Paul says in Romans 6 and verses 3 and 4, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. We can walk in newness of life. Why? Because we are alive in Christ. The old life is gone, buried. We are new creations in Christ. When people are baptized here, you see the t-shirts, buried, risen, alive. But that's not just a saying on a t-shirt, that's reality. That's the reality for every believer. That's who you are. And this has huge 
practical ramifications for the Christian life. Let's say that you're struggling with a sin. Maybe it's a particularly tough, habitual sin, and you, you get discouraged, and you, you, you begin some really negative self-talk, and you begin to kind of you know, say to yourself, I, or, or, or even begin to think it, even if you don't really say it, but it's, it's, it's there in your mind, I can't, I'm powerless. I, I'm, this, 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 this sin dominates me. And I don't like it, but it's just, it's just the way that I am, and it's the way that I'm always going to be. What if, instead of engaging in that, that kind of unbiblical, negative self-talk, what if you began to preach the promises of God's word to yourself? What if you began to preach to yourself about the truth? which is that you are united to Christ, that you are alive in Christ. What if you began to preach to yourself something like what Paul continues to talk about in Romans 6, in verses 11 through 14? Let's pick it up at verse 11. He says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now listen to this. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. If as a believer, sin is reigning in your life, it's because you're letting it happen. You have the power to live differently because you are alive in Christ. That's how you should think of yourself, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin has no business dominating you as a child of God. You're not a slave anymore. What does he continue to say here in verses 13 and 14? He says, do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. And you are. That's who you are. You are spiritually alive from the dead. So as someone who is alive from the dead, you can do what? Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So... What if you began to engage in gospel self-talk? <laughs> what if you began to preach the truth to yourself, which is, I'm not a slave anymore. I am a, I am a son or daughter of the king. And because of that, I can walk in authority over sin and dignity and nobility because I'm a child of the king and I'm alive in him. The old me is gone, it's buried. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. The spirit indwells me, I'm alive in Christ. Sin has, cannot, has no dominion over me. I'm not under law anymore, I'm under God's grace, empowered by his spirit, adopted as his child. 
What if you begin to tell yourself stuff like that? You'll begin to live like that. This, this is the power of understanding our, our union with Christ. If we died with him, we will also live with him. Look at verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, one of the marks of a genuine born-again believer is that he or she will persevere in their faith. We saw this last week in Romans 8, 17. Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If we're going to reign with him one day, then, then we've got to be willing to, to suffer for him, if need be, for our faith during this life. Because the mark of a genuine believer is endurance in the faith. Jesus says in Mark 13, in verse 13, you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then again in verse 12, look at it. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, this seems to come right from the words of Jesus. In Matthew 10, Jesus says there, but whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now, do you see how watered down our Western American gospel can sometimes be? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people through the years where, you know, they, they can be talking about someone who has shown no fruit whatsoever that they belong to Christ. Hasn't been in church in years and years and years. There's no visible identifying fruit that they're a believer and the person will say something like, well, you know, but... I mean, they made a profession of faith when they were seven years old in vacation Bible school. Or, you know, they, they, ra they raised their hand that they wanted to receive Christ. Or they walked an aisle. Or they prayed a prayer. They're okay. That's just kind of not consistent with what God's word teaches. God's word teaches that when someone is genuinely saved, that they persevere in their faith. And there is fruit. There's fruit Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16, you'll recognize them by what? By their fruit. But even as serious, committed Christians, we know that we fall short. We know even as people who are trying to follow Jesus, we know sometimes that we can be so faithless. That we have so, that, 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 we, that in our struggle with sin, and that is the mark of a 
believers that we're struggling with sin. We, we hate our sin. We're making war on our sin. But even then, sometimes we're failing in that. What then? Oh, we need verse 13. <laughs> Look at verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, the closer that we get to Christ in our walk, the more sensitive that we're going to be about sin in our lives. The more that we grow in Christ, the more aware of our own sins and shortcomings we become. And the devil can use that to beat us up and to steal our joy. That's why we need verses like verse 13. If we are faithless, and we sometimes are, he remains faithful. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And this is our ultimate peace, that Christ is holding on to us. He says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I've shared this before, but I share it again because I think it communicates what, what this verse is, is teaching. But, you know, when our, our kids were small at the beach, we'd be out there and the breakers jump in waves and I'd hold their hand and I'd say, hey, hold on tight. And they would try to hold on, you know, as best they could. But a little kid's not going to be able to hold them, but so tight. But that didn't really matter because it's not so much the power of their grip on me that mattered. It was the power of my grip on them as their daddy. I wasn't going to let anything happen to them. What mattered was my, my grip on them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We don't keep ourselves saved. Jesus saves us and he holds on to us. And nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Those hands that had spikes driven through them. Those nail scarred hands. They hold us. What matters is his grip on us. He holds us. He's holding you now, right now, so you can be at peace. You can be secure in that. You can rejoice in that. The Savior's got you. He's got you. He's not letting go of you. He's holding you now. You are forgiven and free. Because of his work for you. And he's holding on to you now. And we see these beautiful gospel truths in the Lord's Supper that we're about to take part in. Let's pray together as we get ready. And so, Lord, we thank you that you love sinners so much that you gave your son for us. We thank you for his work. We're so prone to forget. You give us 
this supper to help us remember. You say, do this in remembrance of me. This brings us back again and again to the centrality of the gospel, of the work of Christ on our behalf. And listen, before we take part in this, as we just continue to pray, I would ask you to today, do you know the Savior? Maybe you're listening on the, the stream today or at some point in the future. Do you know Christ personally as your Savior and Lord and King? His work for you, his love for you is seen in the good news of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. He died for sinners like me and you. We can never save ourselves. We always fall short. Christ lived the perfectly obedient, sinless life that we could never live. And then died the death we should have died on the cross for our sins. And he is a risen king. And you can have eternal life through him. Turn to Christ right now and, and trust him. Because the Lord's Supper only has meaning if you've done that. It's for believers. And so, Father, we, we, we pray that you would make these next few moments a time when you speak your love deeper into our lives by the power of your, your spirit. That your spirit will assure us of the depth of your love for us as your children. That we would leave here with confidence and joy in that and ready to share that with others. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So if you were here today as I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. 
We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.